Podcast. I don't know why I did it on that kind of like an up note. It was kind of weird. Yeah, it's still uh, it unenthusiastic. A little, yeah. It was a little sarcastic almost. Yeah. Yes. Welcome, welcome. Glass your bed. Glad to be here. What was that? Gosh. I think he was attempting it was to that do old. Gush. Was that old the character from like a. What was it? That cartoon from the 50s? That narrows it down to yeah. a lot of things. You know the one. <laughs> that goofy? one? No, it's not goofy. Goofy has a little more. <laughs> Wow, the wow last, that was really good. The, and it's, that was, that was particularly good. Decent soundbite. Now, who are those two I'm dogs? Choking. Who are those two dogs? Remember the two dogs? Two dogs? There were two dogs. Remember the two dogs? No. I remember two stupid dogs. Someone is going to remember this. Two dogs? Who's listening? Someone will. Who no. did this? Uh, Prick the Pete? Was that it? I don't Prickly, know. The, Prickly Pete, I po- think, po- is Disney. Po- Poopity Pete? I, I think you're thinking of Pete from Mickey Mouse. That's a different thing, no. I know. That's uh, what I'm saying. It's anyway, getting back on Long track. Time. So, good news, everyone. We're finally going to have Painless Parker on the podcast in September. We set a date uh, today, so look forward to that coming up. Uh, also, this week, I'm getting to see a Broadway musical for the first time in a while. Uh, Zachary yeah. Levi, who I got to meet back in July. And I'm really jealous of because you didn't even watch all of his stuff, and I'm freaking in love with the guy. I'm in love with Just him. Just shy of in love with him. He's so good. He's such a great Oh, wait till you meet him. He's so oh, good. I don't think I've seen him in anything. That's a shame. He's, he's actually known. very talented. He's best known for but anyway, Chuck. He, and for Tangled. He was the he was the voice uh, and singing He was writer from the, Tangled. Yeah, yeah, the male lead. Hmm. Flynn Rider. Anyway. Sure. <laughs> to put it this way, Thanks, fans... Too. We're able to do what they could never do with Firefly, which is keep Chuck from going under because they love this guy so much. Well, fans didn't get a chance to do it with Firefly. It was gone before we realized it. Yeah, because it was Fox. Anyway, so... Just... <laughs> Everybody needs to get off their Firefly. It was 13 episodes, like, how many years ago now? And they never showed them in order, but that's all yeah. besides the point. Anyway, back on track. So the, so the musical is called First Date. It's him and Krista Rodriguez starring, and it, I've heard good things. I've heard good and bad things. The Times bashed it, but they bash everything these days. Yeah, we are just talking about how bad they are picking out books. So Yeah, but I, who looks at the Times for reviews? Not me. So I look at the Times to see what they bash, so I read it. <laughs> but I'm looking forward to seeing the musical. It, it should be a lot of fun. Um, so I'll have more on it next week after I've seen it. We're really Oh, I'm also media. seeing Shakespeare in the Park this week. And that's also a musical. I don't remember which one, though. Which Shakespeare mus- in the Park well, is not musical. That's, that's no. a thing in the park. Yeah, no, he's... There are musicals. Yeah, but it's not really Shakespeare. No, it is. Shakespeare is not musical. At all. He never wrote a musical. It's he wasn't a musician. It's Shakespeare in the Park and there's a musical. I don't know what it... Maybe there's two different things. There's a way Shakespeare to make... In the, Shakespeare in the Park is something that everyone should take advantage of at some point. In Central I'm... Park, they do free Shakespeare concerts and it's 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 awesome to get your free experience It's one of the few places so maybe you can routinely see my, one of my favorite plays, which is the play that should not be named. Whether, whether Might as well name it. Macbeth. Oh. <laughs> Why'd you name it? Well, because we're not on stage. That's true. Um, but either way, if it's not a musical, well whatever. I'm seeing Shakespeare in the Park on Thursday, so that should be fun. Third base. Awesome. 
Is there any transition to the thing that we're doing today? Because no, I see none. No, we're just going right into it. No. Uh, okay, nope. this is a Got new nothing. genre, as I uh, described last well, week. Well, the genre is into... not new. It's no, new this for is, us. The genre's is pretty old. Yeah, yeah it's been around about a hundred. It's one of the first true years. modern genres, so it's, yeah, really old. Modern in as much as it was formed in the 20th century, based on things from the 19th century. But yes, it's pretty modern as they come. Um, not as modern as rock, but it gave birth to rock. It gave birth to a lot of things. Anyone guess what we're talking about yet? I think I said the name. Jazz. Yes. <laughs> Our first jazz record on the podcast. Yes. And well, actually, let's face it. Jazz was the most popular music in America for 40 years, between the 20s and the 50s. And then it was replaced by rock and roll. So jazz has never stopped being popular, but it stopped being the most popular, popular media in America. So everyone kind of looks to rock these days for the news hit the new single i don't even know if i go that far that's anymore. true that even rock, actually that's been said that rock is on its has been on its way out for a while now they've enjoyed their 40 years and now we're in a weird mesh of pop hip-hop so to speak yeah and that's become kind of a world genre because it's spread everywhere everyone does hip-hop to some extent yeah yeah but getting back to jazz itself this is not your kenny g jazz all right this isn't Ooh, even this isn't isn't even a, a group of upstarts who are trying to form their own jazz band. And I started you strong. This is a virtuoso, a very well-known virtuoso by the name of Chick Corea. And I must compliment you on this because this guy's been around for... Ever. Long enough that he has seen almost every type of jazz in its creation. That's why I chose him. Mm. He came around in the generation that followed the... 50s generation of jazz, which was one of the strongest. Even though that's when jazz went out as a pop form, it's interesting that that's when jazz became the language of the intellectual elites, so to speak. And all the youth music became rock and roll. But John Coltrane was doing really advanced technical stuff. It was almost the equivalent of classical for the 20th century, considering that no one was really following contemporary classical musicians. So there was a whole generation of people there who everyone should know if you have a good knowledge of music, you should probably know the names of John Coltrane, Dizzy Gillespie, uh, even before that, Louis Armstrong, and there's a whole generation that followed in the 70s, and Chicoria is one of them. Uh, also, if you want to laugh, go to the Wikipedia page and look up his disc- discography. It's it's in the range of 50, 60 albums. It's ridiculous. It's not, to be fair, it's not all original work. Because he's in such high demand, he's as, as skilled as they get on the piano these days, he worked with a lot of other musicians, yes. so it's a lot of you know Chickaree featured with this, featured with that, and live compilations of, yeah, as well, live and playing the standards of existing jazz music. That's a very big, yeah. rich tradition. Is it's replaying? He's prolific in use the same way Paul McCartney has been over his career. He's a lot of people have approached him. A lot of people have asked him to sit in on sessions. Uh, he does have a very large core section of just his work. True. And yet, he hasn't done anything for the last 10 years or so. This is his first original work. And I actually saw an interview where he wanted to get back into the thick of it. He wanted to get back to writing original compositions, or at least a framework of original compositions, and working with a new band that was full of younger musicians, which is the backing band, uh, which we believe is Chick Corea and The Vigil. Incidentally, the album also called The Vigil. Vigil. Now, we run into a couple of issues here because, to be honest, the Wikipedia page is underappreciated. And even their own, even Chick's homepage is very hard to find information on this actual album. Yeah. That's how new it is. Yeah, it's, it's the stuff from the 70s that uh, really everybody knows about. Most recently, you know, 
it's the people who follow him regularly are the people who are going to know his career. Uh, so, incidentally, let's see what he's doing as a 72-year-old man. Yeah, and impressive for a 17-year-old man. Uh, so, moving into the first track called Galaxy 32, Star 4. Which is unusual. And a very specific sound. It's like coordinates on a spaceship. It, no, it's as if to say, and th- this is the jazz sense of humor. There's no shortage of jazz tracks who have this kind of sense of humor. It's a very flashy way of saying space. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, all right, you know, I'll pin you down to that I almost, one. I almost want to want to expand upon that and say, this is where we're coming from. That, I think, is what they're trying to say in their title because I feel like the track itself is a great way of saying this is where we're coming from. There's even an earlier point to say that, uh, the album cover itself. Again, every once in a while we like to mention this. We don't like to uh, make judgments based on the album cover, but there's a connection here. It's a very silly cover uh, of a horseman riding through a nebula. A knight. A knight, yes, a knight riding through a nebula. Also, a lot of the track names on the album have a space or space theme. Most of them do, actually. Yeah, and uh, the thing is, I think it was very apparent to me, the second, the first, like, the opening for it into this, uh, into this theme right here, it was apparent that it was a space theme. Like, I, I heard it, at least. Maybe not everyone would make that connection, but there were reasons why I heard it. It was a very open sound. You didn't hear any dissonance in the beginning. In fact, it was very, the, it was the opposite. It was very open. You were getting what they call an anhemitonic scale, which means... No semitones. You don't get that note right next to each other as you do. Instead, it was an open pentatonic scale, which is a very classic thing for Chick Corea. He's used a lot of pentatonic scales in his life, and only has five tones as opposed to your classic seven tones. Every other, uh, most, almost everything we've heard so far in these reviews has been about seven tones. That's, that's your classic major, minor, and everything else. Right. Pentatonic, it, it's, it's looser. And because of the type of pentatonic scale he was using... It was called the suspended pentatonic scale or Egyptian pentatonic scale. It's so open. You have no uh, no hint to major or minor. That's, in my opinion, why it sounds so spacey. So, that's a reason. It's 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 one reason. You know, you might get anything else, perhaps, of the uh, instrumentation itself. Uh, just to try to get it into layman's terms, I think I understand a little bit better. The spacing, uh, the frequencies of the the sounds are further apart from each other. Exactly. So it actually creates distance within the sounds themselves. It's the opposite of dissonance, in many cases. Okay. Aaron Copeland used to do that all the time to achieve like nature, open land. So he would use like super wide intervals. I think I should do my own Webster's dictionary. The layman's dictionary. Yeah, I'm gonna have to layman. provide it for these yeah, guys. Yeah, yeah, we. Probably. Yeah. Um, maybe. Yeah. I mean, as far as, <laughs> as, as intro tracks go, I thought it was a very strong intro. I really liked the spacey kind of feel you got from it. Right. Although my biggest problem just with to say this is just the intro we're talking about right now. Right. And and also this track. I mean, so the majority of the tracks on here were eight minutes or more. So there was only one semi-short song. The rest of them were these huge pieces. Yeah, a short song for this album's five minutes. So, but with this track, my biggest problem with it when we get towards like the middle of it. It, it loses the space vibe. Well, sort that of. is true. And I wanna, I'm going to get into that in a little bit. But I will say that it seemed to have more direction after the intro. Like, the immediate, uh, the immediate solo after the intro, I very much enjoyed. Because it starts to move away from that open sound. You get a little bit of a foreshadow where it actually does go into a semi. We, we, we get a minor scale, and we 
throw that in. So all of a sudden, it changes its tone. It doesn't pull it away from spaciness necessarily, but it pulls it toward, I guess, something that's a little bit more understandable, a little bit more relatable, because it sounds so otherworldly in the beginning, and yet it moves into something that's almost... Uh, familiar? Yeah, familiar, kind of even sensual, so to speak. And that's where the, ca the, the first keyboard solo, I think, really derives its power. I'm going to make a claim... Um, I'm not 100% sure, sure it's true, but it's more, it was, it was an upbeat, high, easy flow. It's more like opening credits. And I, I say this because it's, it's uses an exposition style introduction work for each of the various, um, uh, artists being used on the track. You, you get a lot of different punctuated solos built around a framework and an impressive framework with the bass and the drums. Right, and it's a very free-spirited uh, framework, I, I think. And that's that, again, goes back to that open nature of the, uh, the so introduction. So it's, it's, it's almost like rolling opening credits. It's You're getting introduced to the various roles you will be, be seeing in this album. Exactly. And I think it does a great job of doing that. Um, and the, fir the first... Specifically, and I have to point this out right away, the late guitar work... And even the the late clarinet work, oh yeah, was just so good. It was really great. Yeah, but I do want to go back to something that Matt said here because he said he felt like it departed from that spaciness. And I want to. We've already established this, and we're going to reiterate it several times throughout this, well, many times throughout this record, that this is virtuosic, virtuoso quality material right here. Every single person in this is a, is a profound talent, and we owe them a lot. Let's just get into the specifics here. Jazz itself does have a tendency to provide this short framework, and that short framework is the theme. We get it. We get it very briefly, and we will return to it. And jazz, in its best execution, I believe the solos themselves should always borrow from that theme work. They should always return to that theme work, restate it in some way, and explore all the different ideas that they can offer. And this does, and yet at the same time, it doesn't. There's so much exploration going involved in, uh, going on in here that it can sometimes feel like there is a search back to the theme. And the exploration of each an idea is so, I almost want to say frivolous, that it, as awesome as it is, you wonder what the first statement was. You wonder what the theme was. You actually have to be reminded later on, like, oh, that's right, this is the song. That said, these solos are amazing. I could still get lost in them, but that's the same thing. I'm getting lost in them. It could either be a positive or a negative. It's it's kind of tricky to gauge, and that's one of the reasons why I think jazz gets such a bad rap for the younger generation who's used to rock, which is, by comparison, so much more rigid framework. You have your verse, you have your chorus. If there is a solo, it, it's it's in a very controlled bracket. You can't ignore it. You can't forget what you just heard. It's very related, and yet jazz likes to explore. They love exploring, and the best jazz musicians can explore so far from the norm that it, it's hard for the average listener, for the layman, to understand. So, Well, I mean, also, I think that being someone who listens to a lot of songs, air quotes, you know, someone who doesn't listen to a lot... The instrumental, even that I listen to, a lot of it's in a very rigid framework. I mean, let's take Pacific Rim, for example, as far as just framework. A lot of those songs 
And that's why you, I think you guys didn't like a lot of them. Where they were very standard and in a very tight framework in that kind of rock framework. They had one thing to say. Yeah, they didn't have many different things to say. Whereas listening to this, and the thing that I liked about Galaxy 32 Star 4 is that, A, I love the name. Because it's literally, like I said, to me as a sci-fi fan and a video game fan, it's like someone punching in a coordinate. Like, that's where you would be telling the pilot to take the spaceship. So I love the naming alone. But the, the fact that it has this kind of openness because of the way it's arranged and then goes into this more... Right, because the solos are dissonant. Yeah. And that, so in many ways it does contrast itself. Yeah. You know? And, and that's, I think, what threw me off at first. I don't know that it's a bad thing. I'll will t- step back. No, that's that's another thing. I want to just to go back to what I was saying. It's it's not necessarily a critique of mine. It, it's it's just an honest representation of what jazz is. It's this just, is why people love it, and it's also why people hate it. it. Yeah. I will I will point out a couple of points, a little bit separate from what you said, but within the framework. Uh, and speaking of framework, this I gotta go back to it. It sets up a real strong current for how the music is going to be created in this album, which is a combination of the bass and drums delivering not really the beat, but the cohesive glue for most of the songs. Right. Working with the piano or keyboard, because it switches back and forth. Right. That becomes the core trio. In many ways, it's the soul of this entire album, not yeah. just this track. But it's it's under it's easy to understand why because of the nature of those three instruments. And we'll get to this in a little bit later uh, in our topic discussion. That certain instruments just have character to them. The piano is an inherently percussive instrument, even though people think of it as melodic. And of course, the drums <clears throat> obviously percussive. And in many ways, so is the bass because it, it pops. Sort yeah. of, you know, that's just well, also, the nature of it. So when you have three working together, it's almost like hearing three three percussive pieces. And each of them are it takes over a separate role. Now, when they're working purely in unison, like they did at some points in just Galaxy 32, which I'm going to not do the rest of the name, uh, it, it's interesting because they are working at the same level. It's hard to point out, okay, maybe the piano is taking more of a forefront, maybe the bass is, but it, it's it's really like they're on even footing. But when you're introducing other instruments, especially uh, the clarinet and late guitar solos, or exposés, it's... I'm not even sure if it's a clarinet. It could be a uh, soprano sax. It's, yeah, it, it's tough re- to hear it at time. really difficult to delineate yeah. the differences uh, because of just the speed and the percussive nature of the background. It, the the piano or keyboard is working with this new instrument. The p the drums tend to take a very high energy role to propel everything forward, while the bass takes a role to draw everything together. It's Definitely. really really intricate work. It's it's really fantastical. It's a, it's a spectacle to witness. This becomes a part of the whole album and is really shown very well in Galaxy Thirty Two. Yeah, and I want I want to I want to emphasize how how much I really do love this track. At the same time, I, I, I feel like I have to explain some some of the uh, the obvious issues that, that certain listeners might have with this kind of thing. I, I speak of context a lot. I, almost in anything we do, I speak of context. That's, that's how well ideas are expressed as parts of the whole. And because that, that theme is so brief and we go into so many solos, I, f- I feel it's tricky sometimes for an audience to, like, follow it. But 
I can. And I still feel like they reach so many climaxes throughout. It's like the climax puts those solos in perspective. So, here's just some of the things that it offers. The, the free-spirited nature that I described, the percussion, the bass, we already said, it's tight. It's fluid beyond compare. Some other ideas... It starts as like a funk line, so you can tell he's almost borrowing from the kind of some of the stuff he's done in the 70s, uh, or at least the the culture that was around in the 70s. Um, it's almost dark. It's melancholy. These are the kind of climaxes that it reaches, and I think really puts the rest of the track in perspective, at least in my opinion. So I was digging that through and through. Then you have these like chromatic declines. You know, that's using that dissonance to go down. And he goes on playfully, and he rises up again. And it's those target notes that he hits sometimes where the emphasis is really, really strong. They seem to be the most dissonant. It's, it's almost strikes me as awkward, but yet it makes perfect sense when you consider the melancholy climaxes. So these are just some of the ideas. And just considering what he does also, he's a jazz pianist, so he's going to show off. That's... that's <laughs> yeah. Just he does. evident. He yeah. does. You get these insanely fast runs throughout the entire track. I also, at the same time, I like his use of space, as in not playing, choosing to just kind of take a backseat when another, uh, when another instrument is playing really strong. He will comp sparingly, sparingly. He he has a great understanding of punctuation. Exactly. Uh, using the piano to to really exemplify. That's close to the word I wanted to say. Another instrument. Emphasize. No, exemplifies is not a bad word. Okay. Um, he really knows how to say, "Hey, look at this guitar using a piano." Yeah, he, he sometimes it's, it's, it's great he, work. He breathes. He breathes in order to listen to the ideas. While while never like you know breathing so so much that it's uh, that he's completely taking a step back, but he breathes just enough to listen to the other idea and then work off of it and come back even stronger and influence the soloist's idea. That's how much talent this guy has. Uh, you know, it's it's common in jazz at the same time. It's so often it it so often fails. You know, a lot of solos out there can in jazz can be so aimless and it's clear that this guy has a point. It can sometimes seem like he doesn't there always is a point. Yes, but for a span of minutes. We on did end. discuss at the very beginning. There was a moment, not the very beginning. I think right after the intro in this track, where there was a guitar work before the great guitar work at the end. That was kind of fleeting that I liked, but you weren't as fond of because it kind of came and went really quick. It came and went, and yet at the same time, when he came back later on, he did expand for three minutes or so, and yeah. that's when I felt like it was it was the the ultimate climax of this track. Yeah. I think it was actually a different guitar. It didn't. It did not f sound like the same guitar. To be just frank about it, I'm not positive, but uh, it could be. At I, least he was playing it a little bit differently. Were there um, was there any information that there were two I mean, guitars in this, uh, of, in this of band? Of the band listing, and we'll get into the full band listing later. It just mentions an acoustic guitar and electric guitar, both played by that's the same I mean. person. Oh, okay, because that's what it felt like. It felt like there was the, so the, the earlier stuff sounded more acoustic. Than the later solo, which was definitely electric. Right. It's possible. I mean, it doesn't really say specifically. Which here. is a little, if, if that is in fact true, because there's a lot, it's, it's, you can hear every note, but it's hard to truly understand every note at such a, a pace that they are setting, which is why we get confused with the clarinet and the saxophone. This is why I tend to use so, those climaxes as a guide. It, it, like, he may have switched instruments halfway through. I don't know. <laughs> It would not 
I would not put it past them. Yeah, nevertheless, I, I, I firmly hold that that final uh, solo between the guitar and also the uh, the keyboard comping. It almost it was a, practically a duality at that point, like like fugue style, with <laughs> just two instruments going at it and having fun together. It and was it one, was one hunting one hunting the other. That was the real thing. You felt war. I felt. The piano was trying to hunt down that electric guitar. It is. Yeah, show it what to do, and then the guitar just And this took is off actually again. where Chikoria, he introduces a little element that comes back several times over the course of this album, this little stuttering effect, where he'll just, like, bounce on one note, you know, and it kind of chases the other one, yeah, and it yeah. rises up chromatically, as I said, one note following another, and that's really where the guitar derived its fuel, I think, was based on that one idea from Chikoria. And you can see the virtuoso skill when he does that, because... His stutter almost seems electronic. It's just so fast and so precise. Yeah, it feels electronic. Like it doesn't yeah. even feel like it could be done. And not just his stutter. It also naturally this, that skips the skips in the stutter he puts in yeah. it too, which are just properly placed. That's the only way I, can, I <laughs> you hate your word. You proper. hate that word. I I, I no cannot, no. It's I'm, I'm going to accept it just for the hell of it here because it that's where it should have been. That's jazz at its best, in my opinion. It also it the story becomes clear at that point like that's my main problem you i there's a lot of people that can be really really talented to these soloists you know you can yeah right sure you're not hitting any wrong notes per se but do you have a point are you following right. anything i feel this guy is following it that if you are able to create a story improvisationally you are you're in prime form in right. the jazz field and the next track planet uh what is it chia that okay that's this song you're talking story this song just from beginning to end is one Without story. And in fact, I also want to, I think this is one of the strongest transitions on the album. Oh yeah, from the end of, of the way that Galaxy. the end of Galaxy 32 Star 4 ends. Uh, talk about references. I've mentioned this so many times. I'm mentioning it again. Vangelis, the album, Albedo 0.39. I don't know whether he was following the tradition of jazz that had been out. At least, that was my first experience with this. But the spacey openness again even more open than the intro the way that ended pertains it 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 blended perfectly with the solemn piano intro of planet chia and And that was the first thing that caught my attention was the beautiful piano intro to the song like i was immediately engaged to dive right in is an experience because you've built such high level of energy in galaxy 32 that this is an instantly soothing uh introduction there was almost a primal nature to this this entire track, and even to the introduction. It's interesting because the introduction almost would harken back to uh, uh, classical, really. It, it, yeah. You'd get a lot of um, impressionism from this. Of course, it uses a lot of jazz chords. Really, really interesting stuff. It, but it's mostly Phrygian, though. Phrygian, again, we recognize it as kind of a Middle Eastern scale. Middle Eastern scales, of course, you... Think, what do you think when you think the Middle East? You think belly dancers. You think snake charmers. Exotic stuff. And you also think maybe even that, because just a little bit of history, they made their way over to Spain. And when Islam, Islamic culture entered into Spain, it blended with them to form their own culture. And that's where we get that, span, that quintessential Spanish guitar style, which is present throughout this entire track. So... Well, that's the that's your framework you're working with here. But to really delve into the story that's here, the starting piano, the soft solo work, is ex- instantly calming, yet creates a sort of pressure 
in its style because it becomes more frantic and yet can't release. And it, once again, it's the trio. When the bass and drums come in, the upright bass and drums, you feel that release. That now, here we go. The One story of the begins best, to take off. Best moments in the album, to my opinion, is when that solo piano just gave way to the bass. It was yeah. so, there's so much tension there, as I said. The, you know that kind of, the dissonance that you get with the Phrygian scale, and then just released with that bass. Not not you're still in Phrygian. It's just it. <laughs> that bass, it's like an undertone that really well engineered. I, I got to give the engineer here some uh, some major prop points. And that leads into a combination of things to come because once the the expose of this story uh, really... Exposition. Un- the exposition of this story, sorry. Uh, of this song really gets underway, you're introduced to... Um, the clarinet and the Spanish guitar, which really become prolific in this song. They, they, they really set a contradictory tone to the piano work that you were expe- heard in the beginning. And it's this contradictory tone... Bef- oh, God, it's so hard to explain. It's, it's well, very moving. Let's put it I, this way. It's a hard thing for me to really get into. We're gonna, we'll, we'll, we'll try our best. I will say this. Based on everything I said in Galaxy 32 Star 4... This almost contrasts it by giving us so much more theme. Yeah. A lot more composed material, right? Granted, there's still a lot of improvisation in this track, but I think we're settled into the story a lot earlier than we are with Galaxy. We have to search for it. We have to wait for it in Galaxy 32 because it's, you know, it's a space track. You're not exactly sure where to... You gotta zoom in. Yeah, exactly. You have to explore it because it's, it's not... It's not you're not used to that sound. It's something that's very new. Yet, in Planet Shia, we're almost getting stuff that's been around for many centuries. It sounds ancient. It sounds tribal. It sounds exotic. All this other stuff. So there's a familiarity, not just to the piano intro, but also to the theme work that follows. It's a very solid melody. Massive stretches, as I said, of just composed material. These rhythmic loops that are... When they come back, you have to smile. Like, yeah. that... We all said that. We all that had that the, experience. That was the most memorable moment to me in this song, was that when that kind of almost fun, almost cartoony sounding rhythm comes in, it just puts a smile on your face. You can't help but laugh. You every, feel. Every transition think, really creates an exuberant release. I think that kind of proves the, the, the point I'm trying to make about, like, this is all ingrained in all of us. Some of these scales, they go back, like, it goes back centuries, the instrumentation, at least... Based on the clarinet, it kind of almost sounds like the instrument that used to be used in um, uh, the Middle East. I forget the name for, of it off the top of my head. The, the stereotypical for, for snake, snake charming, charming and all yes. that. Yeah, uh, just, so many visions will come to mind as a result of this, na, just na, from media na, na, and that whole ilk. Exactly. But this is obviously <laughs> this is taking it to a whole other intellectual <laughs> yeah, level. Yeah, we bit more. And that's that's why I think that the the uh, transition worked so well because it's like a space rendition of this exotic theme. It's fantastic. But here's here's my characters, and this is something that visually was so stimulating in my mind, I could not get it out of my head. The piano feels like the main protagonist of this story. The clarinet, or... Uh, soprano sax. From soprano sax, because we really can't figure out which is which. At times, they're so intricate. and That's the woman of this story. And yeah, the Spanish I, I think... guitar is... The antagonist. 
And again, going back to the the story here, I feel like there's, there's a reason why we should feel that. Because I felt the same exact thing. I felt like there's the Spanish guitar is is your your hero. You know, he's marching in to you know save no, the no, girl. The Maybe guitar, he's being seduced. <laughs> no, the Spanish guitar I felt was the antagonist. The antagonist. Interesting. And the piano was the protagonist. You said the 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 piano ah, felt more like the just the the um for the sake of discourse. I felt that he was the narrator. Yeah. And I definitely could see that, but it was so ingrained. And the big thing was when the clarinet became the forefront, the way the clarinet and the piano were going uh, tete-a-tete with one another mm. was just so much of a... a, a primal is not the right word, but just such a, a pursuit of one another. I follow that. Such a... a no sensual combination. That... I very much follow that. At the same time, I feel it was more the case of. Ah, it was tricky. Like... We're splitting hairs here because it's all interpretation. All interpretation. Was... You may have a a completely different idea. I'm talking to the audience now, but at the was... same time, I feel still feel like there the emphasis of the piano is not there as much. The empi- like he does not get as much solo work here as he did back in the first track. But I, th- that is because you're focusing on the woman at this point. Because up until this point, the piano was truly the forefront, or the piano was blended with both the clarinet and and uh, guitar. But then why should the piece have started out with the piano solo? Because it's explaining your hero. The narrator is explaining your hero. Exactly. Uh, I felt like there was a real union between the clarinet and the piano in the second third of the song that really just became an expose on their relationship and that third third i don't mean just to put a period at the end of that argument because it could conceivably go on forever i personally think that no matter what i'm not disparaging the work of the piano in this piece the comping is incredible it puts the rest the every other soloist in perspective i just i i i have to say that it's it's more about those soloists the theme here revolves around those soloists. They are the climax. Well, here's 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 my other half of the argument. The third third. Not the outro, but the third third of the song. Okay. Is the Spanish guitar no longer in unison with the piano. Now they are competing, and it's once again that hunting nature in the uh, two instruments. They're not directly overlapping, but they're not directly uh, separate in their bits, in their pieces, in their composition, hmm. they are actually competing to become forefront. Now, the Spanish guitar is definitely taking a larger role, but I feel like the piano does not take the backseat it did with the clarinet. All right, the I'll piano, give you that point. The piano if you, if, really is fighting. If we're thinking of the same part of this track, I'll, I'll give you that. At the same time, who knows? That could be... Uh... Narrator breaking the fourth wall. Yeah. Who knows? This is this is an argument that really could go on forever. It's all interpretation, and that's yeah, I as far as I'm concerned, that is success for for this jazz piece. And here's here's if my it final insights thing. debate. The outro was great because uh, that's where I found our narrator with the bass and drums, and especially the bass. Correct. It complements and levels out everything, especially the ending of the piano bass work was just so sweet and settling. I, I I have to see the bass as the the narrator. Yeah. No, I could definitely see that. I also wanna just uh just to move into something a little bit different here. I wanted to get into something I already mentioned that there's a 
huge Middle Eastern vibe, huge Spanish vibe. I want to I wanna just hone that a little bit further. I think some of this maybe even derived from, like, the Cuban music that you would get from, like, the 1950s, which was pretty prevalent at the time. This is sort of, I guess, when you could say the jazz pop bubble sort of seemed to reach critical mass. And like I said, all that stuff became reserved for intellectual classicists, as it were. I know I've already beaten this point into the ground. It's just, it was so prevalent here, even more so than in the first track. Planet Chia really is an exploration into the past while combining a look into the future. I think that's a good way to sum it up. We should also, at this point in the album, since we're about a third of the way done, because it's a short, long record, um, Steve took a lot of classes in jazz and jazz theory, so he knows a lot about this stuff. He's got a lot of exposition to spout, but we won't try and run along or bore you with detailed details, but Steve has a lot of information to to speak on this because he went to school for it, and it's actually really fascinating and to, to get kind of a background on it. And if to be honest, anybody listening, if you've been intrigued with either of the first two tracks, please send Steve any question you have, because <laughs> he will go at length. He yeah. had to do it for us because, to be honest, there's a lot I'll of things in here that, while I'm familiar with jazz the same way I'm like familiar with, I don't know, Niels Bohr, like I know it exists, <laughs> and I know some little aspects of it. It's hard. It was hard for us to see it in a framework without a lot of work built into it. Well, for me, okay. with jazz, it's I've always observed jazz as something that I people dance to, that I've danced to. I've never really. I've never gone to a, a, a jazz concert, and I've never listened to a lot of jazz on my iPod either. That's a lot better, yeah. I mean, <laughs> to put it simply, I mean, with Planet Chia, like, I, I, felt, I felt a narration of sorts. I felt this story, but I didn't really feel a clear vision like you did. It was more, you know, I got the emotion of happiness and almost joy from the, the, the part that made me smile. This and that, kind of that part sl- comes back many, many times. There's this sleazy kind of feel, like some of the bar yeah. feel. Like you got this little, little bit of sleazy, grungy like bar feel. Then it went into this kind of romantic, well, almost courtship courtship. And that just goes back to the history again. Yeah. When, you know, this stuff was played, of course, at least during the to- its time, its prime time, it was played in kind of those sleazy little joints. Of course, they were borrowing from that whole Afro-Cuban tradition. And it's, it's, it's fascinating to follow, like, uh, the musical family tree. I, know I could definitely go on that stuff forever and it's also fascinating that even though we all have distinctly different impressions in the specifics in the general they all mesh and they are very similar in the general terms of what we felt and what we saw so i want to go into just one last thing here with uh planet chia and then we can move on to uh portals of forever which offers even different things let's put it this way there's two ways you could view this i am mostly on the side of john here in terms of the way this track just blends together all the stuff that it's offering. At the same time, I just want to play devil's advocate. It almost seems to be a bit of a static emotion to me. Not in the case of individual moments, but in the case of the entire track. Like, with the exception of maybe that that first piano introduction, the rest of the track it really just goes through all these different phases of of solos and combining but we never move away from that phrygian mode that's almost the same front to back except for the times in which the the theme returns but john once said this i feel this is no better represented in this track that 
it's almost like a saw blade. This is your comparison, John, that it reaches yeah. like climax and then it goes down. We cool off. We plateau for a little bit. It reaches another climax, no higher than the previous climax. Picture a saw blade in your head. Obviously, there's not going to be like a ridge that goes above the other ridge. And I feel like this track was the embodiment of that, where that's it leaves me hanging whether track one or track two is better or worse. It's entirely up to you. But I do feel that track one broke that saw blade vision to me, that it reached higher climactic points that this one just couldn't reach. It was a steady story that I almost feel was explained to me within the first two minutes. But saying that it couldn't reach it, I feel like, is wording it wrong. I just... No, not couldn't. Um, w- just didn't want to reach. It just it wanted to kind it's, of it's, have it's, this it's, wavy it's a, vibe. Right. But it also, wanted, it's almost like its own little But also epic. based on the emotion that I drag... Uh, not drag, that I kind of attached to this song, I feel like if it broke and had that kind of pinnacle moment, it would have ruined the story. This yeah. kind of ebb and flow was perfect for the emotion that you were pulling from it. And it I was, accept that. I, yeah. I accept that. And that's why I do rate Planet Chia as the best song on the album. Not necessarily the best individual parts, but as a, a cohesive unit, I feel like it is the best. It does seem and to work the best as a whole. Because of that's that... That's my only gripe, though. I just, I'm just i not sure. Between Galaxy 32, I still feel like it might be... Well, best for me. The the co- the cohesive nature of the story and the fact that I really saw a story, as opposed to the exposition I saw in thirty two. Regardless of the quality of it, a story just grabs me more. Okay, it, it, there's there's something about the completeness of the idea that grabs me more. Maybe it was just the familiarity of the tone, that for me, the familiarity made this track a little bit more it, it made it static it's not that it made it worse in any way it just I felt that Galaxy 32 Star 4 had the the freshest material but you I think also... I'm going to leave it on that and disclaimer if you think it's ridiculous uh, for us to be arguing this early in our review whether we love track 1 or track 2 better these are long tracks they're really they require this and also to bring <laughs> up something that you put, brought up off air I don't remember if you mentioned it on air is that these tracks are highly open to interpretation. So we could talk at Jazz length. Is open right, that's what you'd said. So, f- like, we're going to go on to the next track, but we could keep talking about this track for probably another 20 minutes. Yeah. But we don't have three hours to podcast. <laughs> yeah, not so, this week. So, moving on to Portals to Forever, which is track three, which immediately from the beginning you get a more electronic sounding, kind of techie, groovy. Because of the use of the electronic piano, the keyboard, yeah. instead of an acoustic, old-school piano. This is a very similar instrument with a completely different sound, which, from its inception, changes what we're listening to here. It was... You know, this goes. This is more similar to the first track than the second track. This goes back to, it, as you said, it's, it's, it's technical. Um, not just technical, but as you said... Uh, it feels like almost a jazz form of techno. There's there's definitely a technological element I, here. I want to bring up jazz. something, though. Yeah. I want to bring up something, though, while I'm looking at the, the credit listing of who played what. It doesn't list a keyboard. It says he only plays grand piano on the entire record. Well, that's <laughs> bull. <laughs> well, that's what it says. I don't see keyboard. It's not listed. Is there a different keyboardist? No. No. So that's curious. Yeah, that's incorrect because one, it's obviously two, a keyboard. Three. Okay. Four, 
I imagine he plays six, the keyboard too. Seven. There's seven individuals, maybe more. I can't count them all. There's this seven individuals. I saw the interview of him in no. a studio. He's sitting in front of a keyboard. Right there. No. That's a guitar. Yeah, that's a guitar. I saw the word electric and got excited. Anyway, Portals to Forever. <laughs> uh, this one has this a... It's definitely keyboard. Has a another, silly point to me. This has another uh, introduction which spends its time building to some something higher. It, 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 it's, once again, introducing a theme. It introduces the theme, and as I said, it's spacious, it's spacious, it's open, it's very similar to Trek 1 in that regard. We're, we're moving away from the epic that we got in Planet Chia. This is no more earthy or exotic and tribal. This is, this is, this is back to the future. This is back to the vision that you got on that cover of the, of the album. It's yeah. less individualized. Yeah. This is this is exploring the grand. I mean, just think of the title of the track, "Portals to Forever." You can't get any further away from the present than that. Yeah. Further away from the present, this, this point in our time-space continuum. Now, and the the instrumentation tends to do that too. Past that opening theme, we get this disjointedness of rhythm that just starts going all over the place. It, again, it's a spectacle. It's not for some people. It might be a little hard to follow. I was just thoroughly loving it, though. It's a it's a disjointed nature. This is this is the drum work here. The, this is, I think, where he really gets to shine. Not that he didn't in the previous two tracks, but I think there's more well, yeah, of the in drum the, here. In the introduction to this track, there are moments where the keyboard's going and the the drums are going off beat and kind of being a bit disjointed, but it's punctuating still what the piano's playing. In fact, this is the song where you had trouble finding... The rhythm, no? Um, that could have been a later track, because no, it, no, it does this, get worse this, as it goes on. This one I saw you for a good two solid minutes trying to count out the beat. You didn't know if it was a 6 or a 12. Might have been a 24. <laughs> I it's, doubt that, but this is... Might no, have I, been. I don't know. This track seemed seemed pretty organized to me, all things considered. The disjointed nature is, is within a... It's within a short framework. I think you can... Well, framework is going to get so repeated today. Yeah. But it's, it's, it's within a, a short bracket. It doesn't now, last too long. It finds its place. Yeah. Now this this song is something I had issues with aspects of it that I really did not have with the previous two tracks. There is a part that really punctuates my issue, which is a part that really kind of changes the theme dramatically. Now that's a major aspect of this song is that it, it seems to be uh, exposing different theme works to us. Uh, different pieces of the same sort of I basic idea yet restated in dramatically different ways, which is a, one of the reasons why we seem to be getting a lot of chaos in the interaction of the t multiple instruments. And each of these different themes that are being shown to us, or different s ideas, is going to be restated using different instruments and there's a part about eight minutes into it which sounds like a long time but not really long for this track that i just lose a major part of what i was flowing well and i don't regain it after that to I the don't, same extent all right i'll agree there but i and the same point i don't want to get ahead of myself because there's been enough material in that eight minutes that i thoroughly love and i want to dive into that now Take a really long time to dive into things uh, with these tracks, but after we get that opening theme work, which I said is kind of disjointed but it's spacious, we we get all that that lasts a little while, and then we go into this sort of 
E minor majestic eerie uh, segment that I guess it's it seems to be the returning theme. I think it defines the returning theme for this track. That's the part with the horns. Uh, if I'm not, I'm not. It's it's, it's difficult before, to describe. This, it's to be before honest. that major simplification with the piano. Because it was right. Bef- it was right before that. Which this was is the when horns. the bass comes in and starts bending beneath everything else. It that, was. It, that was with the horns. It, it starts waning with everything. Yeah, I think it was with the horn. It's. It was. I was loving that. And then it starts getting anxious as it goes further. Like, we get this trippy climax. You actually said it was like... How did you refer to it? It was complimenting? Was that the word you used to describe it? Uh, no, complicating. Complicating. Complicating, That yes. was it. That was the word. It's, uh... <laughs> it's almost... This is after the, this is the, the eerie and majestic section, so the, these two back-to-back... The bass and piano... The bass and piano were, were trying to establish something. And it was being established. But the additional instruments were just just kind of like poking the arm that was painting in this case. They were changing it up enough that they were, well, well staying within the lines, yet every once in a while it, it zigs outside. And it was just and really this, unique this, and beautiful This in that climax way. was actually the way that it zipped outside. And I can, again, just to put a dose of theory in here, it was because of the chord that they used. Well, coming from E minor, and then we go into this F sharp sus7 chord. So, it's like we move up one chord from the one chord to the two chord, but it's suspension. It's a suspension, suspended seventh. Again, like in the first track here, like in Galaxy 32, we don't get the major or minor inclination. We're away from both. It's like we're off in space. It's It feels futuristic and technical. And that when it reaches that climax... Again, it's up there in my favorite moments of this album, which so far are building. There are many, and we haven't even scratched the surface of what's actually to come later here. But, um, yeah, that I think that defines the climax of this piece. We do have problems later, though. First of all, we don't get a grand restatement of the main theme. We get kind of this alternate, peppier restatement of the main theme. It's not really grand, it's just kind of, again, we're almost back to sawblade material here. But we do get a striking duality of the trading uh, trading solos. Yes, at times it can get exhausting, it but it, it can also be kind of brilliant because it brings that battle element back, the hunt. It, it was, but... I'm not, I'm talking pre-eight, nine-minute mark. Okay, yeah, because once it gets past <laughs> the eight, nine-minute mark, yeah. then I have it gets really a little sure, meandery. Yeah. It just gets, it, you That's, kind of... There you go. It, it, it gets a little meandery and you, t- you start to get lost. It's just, it's not as solid and cohesive as the rest of it. That's, it's a shame, almost, because yeah. I think that up until then, we broke the saw blade. Yeah, yeah. We had the, that F-sharp sus-7 chord, as I said, and then it, it, it exceeds that in the second climax with an E-11th chord. 11th chord, just a little, a little more theory, we start to get into the, what's called the upper partials. I've actually explained this a couple times before, maybe back in the Godsticks podcast, we get into, like... Things above seventh. Seventh is within, but then when you're working off ninths, elevenths, thirteenths, you're working into a chord that, if played openly on a piano, it would expand almost two octaves, which is pretty far. So when you play it condensed, you know, and you can rearrange those notes to play it in a more condensed fashion, there's just this. You can't go much farther than a thirteenth in terms of chordal complexity. That's why when I hear this, 
it, it's not just that it sounds complex, it, it, it brings so many emotions to mind, like longing. I hear that in the secondary climax. It's a shame that it gets static after that. Yeah, but I, yeah. I love the first half of this track. Yeah, the I'm, second half, beca- meandering, I, uh, storm, that was the perfect word. It's just one of those things where like, you're so invested. I mean, the first two tracks, pretty much, even with minor complaints, the first two tracks, if any, you're invested pretty much from beginning to end. I want to adjust the minute mark, though. I think it was more like a minute 13, because we're forgetting about one major thing that we do get that follows all that other stuff. Yeah. It was the exploration of drum work texture. It yeah. almost sounded like stomp. That's what we get at the nine-minute mark, which yeah. actually is new material, and I would defend that. Again, some people might think it sounds even more disjointed. I personally loved it. It was okay, but still, the track on a whole, after that eight-minute mark, did get... Just wasn't... This track after was, the 13-minute mark. 13-minute mark. This track just doesn't stay as cohesive, solid, and engaging as it, the last two. It rambles. It's yeah. trying a little bit too much to keep saying the same thing. I think it and was this. There was re- the restatements. It was once again restating, restating, and to be honest, there was what I guess it was six only or seven one or two things here that got jarring because they were restated so much, and that was uh, right after that when I just referred to as the stomp bit when the drum goes all out and they're playing disjointed. Right after that, you have this sort of menacing, re- re- cyclic uh, repetition where the keyboard joins with. It's like. And then it builds again. But at the same time, he does that so many times. That you, I don't know. It's just, it was it's it, a little bit grating. It got grating and repetitive by that point. You know, it wasn't so egregious that it was a pro. It was a huge problem, but it definitely just wasn't as engaging as what had come before. I think it's because of the way it was phrased. It was phrased in such a manner that that seemed to be. Uh, their intention of a climax. Yeah. That seemed to be what we all wanted to focus toward, what the band themselves wanted us to build to when I was more invested in the previous climaxes in the piece. Uh, and it's one of those things that they could have just been type. messing around and they, they were... Tr- That's jazz, though. Yeah, they, they were playing with it and they thought they were going to find something and maybe they didn't. And the outro takes... Uh, it just takes too long. Well, this is the outro that I'm talking about, essentially. Yeah. This, yeah, this, yeah. The last several minutes of the piece are, seem like an outro. Uh, one long outro that kind of drones towards the end. Almost. It, it's a weird, weird word to say when you're talking about, you know, so many lines of, uh, of, of melody. When you're talking melody, about, like, melody, something that... But, that people spend their lives studying so that they can do. Yeah. And yet... It's ironic. Yeah. But, again, you can have... Complex ideas don't always mean great ideas. True. Yeah. All right. Um, wow, it's the longest I think we've ever ta- taken to talk about three tracks. Moving on to four, though. Royalty. Uh, royalty. So this track, immediately, when I first heard this track... I what? forgot about something. Okay. In your portraits to uh, portals to. Forever. We didn't mention the lounge section, which was also a huge section of this piece. Dude, do you know how many sections of this piece we haven't mentioned? Yeah, it doesn't almost, It doesn't necessarily help it's my hard. case because no. it has it too has nothing to do with the theme. Yeah. But it was a very just to go over it. It was a very contented. I guess the almost jazz that people think of stereotypically. If you're watching PBS, it, and you're it watching had, like it was a little refreshing. It was refreshing. But more as an interlude. Yeah, it wasn't really enough. Yeah, it was the I guess it was the section after that that I that kind of dragged. All right. I guess I guess we'll put this uh this song to sleep. Royalty. Uh, once again, uh we're we're getting the trio. My trio. My favorite three pieces in a 
sultry, to some extent, intro. Uh, once again, exploring that very much sensual theme that was pleasant, uh, present in Planet Chia. I was on the verge of calling this like a Gershwinian theme. What the heck does that mean? <laughs> George Gershwin. Yeah, I, 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 I got Gershwinian? little elements of, of just little speckles of chord work here and there, which brought me back to like the 20s and 30s. It was interesting. It, was, it had that very... To me, the first thing I said when I heard this was, I, have, I wrote down, better for dancing. Because in my head, that's all I pictured was a ballroom and people kind of dancing and stepping to this and kind of, you know, you middle-aged people on a cruise ship. You know, going for a dance night. Well, yeah, that's why I I, I felt the need to go back to the uh, to the PBS jazz th- section in the previous track because yeah. I almost enjoyed that better than I did this. But yeah. you're you're seeing movement. That's what yeah. it really, bo- really boils down to. Yes, just just movement. But beginning with this track, and I'm I'm kind of putting an overarc on it, which we're going to get into more detail. I felt this one also was a bit rambly, like the last track. It was well, rambly, but then again, I wanna you know I. There's going to be so much uh, devil's advocacy going on here because, yes, it was more rambly, and yes, I probably enjoyed the previous track better in terms of the different sections it explored. Right. This section, I mean, this song doesn't explore as many sections. At the same time, it emphasizes a different, a completely different thing. The entire track is a journey, it's a search, it's looking for something, and I almost enjoyed that on a whole other level, if not for the most immediate. Yet. One of the big lacking features I found was the lack of a hook. Well, that's it. Yeah. That's, that's the reason it is the way I'm describing it. Yeah, that's well, no, why there's no it's hook. Searching. There it's can searching be a for the hook. hook in a journey, and it's that lack of culmination that detracts from the song for me. I mean, I will agree with John. But it it keeps... didn't really have a climax. It's true, but at the same time, artistically speaking, I believe that was the point here. Well, I, I can accept that's... that. I can accept yeah. it. I. Would have preferred. It becomes a taste a little issue. More, at yeah, that, point. that that I, really I think is what it really that. is. Let's and put it this way: it at least gives it the track more cohesion. In the fact that there is a consistency of searching for that hook than the previous track did in its exploration of so many disparate. Yes, disparate I would agree themes. with that. This was a definitely a much more cohesive track in its overarching right. theme. There are no disparate themes. No, here. there is no theme. I get out of the right. time in a way. Uh, the previous work here that's been going on, there's been a real, not heart pulse, but pulse to it. Almost metronomic type of uh, breathe in, breathe out aspect to the songs. And I I got that on a very macro piece that there is breathe in and then a minute later breathe out. But in, in the micro scale of the moment to moment, it was very chaotic. It could be chaotic, yet at the same time I felt a little bit mellowed when all was said and done. Because when you take the track as a whole, you almost get this effect, this ambient effect. Like it is just a drone that you are supposed to kind of zone out to, or feel very relaxed in 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 witnessing what he's searching for. Well, that, that's why you I... Probably had... You probably had a couple drinks at your bar, you know? Well, that's why I said it was better for dancing, because sitting and listening to it, it almost felt ambient. It was, like, just almost ambient to me, because it was not necessarily slower completely, but it was it was definitely a lower tone. It was definitely this kind of, a more relaxed feeling than any of the other tracks. Have right. You well, the, the, I mean, J- uh, John did start out by saying this was... He prefers slower jazz, and there was a smoother nature to this. Yes. Um, it's it's really strange. You know, you walk in the fine line here. The last track was chaotic in terms of in terms of the 
theme work it was putting out there yeah. and this track is is chaotic only in the in the meandering nature of it yeah it's a very strange thing which made me uh, assume that though you might on the face of it call this a smooth jazz track it has a touch of avant to yeah it. like it's not just a smooth jazz track it has too much to it for that i feel to yeah, just be exactly. a basic smooth jazz track. Exactly. That's, yeah. It I still will, had more layers. It I, I call it avant not because it's like atonal or dissonant, you know, not in the same way that certain other jazz artists will go out in avant-garde. This is just avant because it explores with having no theme. Yeah. It's just a giant... I forget exactly how long this track was, but I think it was another long one. It's a giant search. It was a really good scotch. Ooh. It went yeah. down. It burned. It did create turmoil when it first goes down on each sip, yet it mellows. It, it relaxes and it gives you, it brings you to a different place. And you just, you keep taking little sips of that chaos throughout the song and it works. It's really weird how relaxing this, once again, tete-a-tete is working. It's almost like an exploration of the way the mind works itself. Like how the mind can kind of meander and search around for things but yet it will you'll have these little crisscross neurons that will remind you of something you'll have nostalgia and that appears because there's one thing that seems almost so out of place but it's it's blended in so smoothly there's a callback to a very old john coltrane song here these are a few (laughs) of my favorite things yeah you hear it in the piano work you don't hear it right chords. away because it has been uh, the it's tempo has been it's, it's your classic it's distorted it's your classic it's tempo. Uh, uh, use of you know music borrowing it's an homage to the past and I just I, I kind of loved it after in, in the beginning you, I was uh, a little it, it confused me but in the end well, honestly also because I would love it more if it was unintentional because it could be he could have just been playing with things he knows and he could and be a fan of that and then brought it in by accident and then continued to play with it once stumbled, he realized stumbled it. upon it. I would challenge, though, and say, uh-uh, nay, this was no accident. It could have been a subconscious it thing been... from its initial conception and then became I just li- I always, I just pursuit. thought it was a funny point considering that I started by well, giving the introduction to the sky as the generation that followed John Coltrane and what do I get? I will it was a coincidence. Out, I will point out one thing. Learning, uh, hearing that aspect, when you pointed it out, hearing that aspect... Unified the track in a much more... It became much more palpable. Yes. Once I heard that. Yeah. yeah. And once it's it was, one of those moments where once you hear a thing in a song, you can't unhear it. I can it, unhear it until I get to that point, and then I hear it again, and everything... Yeah. Like, my past changes with that yeah. aspect. Right. Now, I think as we go on here... I... Uh, I don't want to be unfair, but I believe there's one track that we're going to gloss over a bit, and that is Outside of Space, track So this five. is track five, yeah. This is the only one that could be referred to probably as a song instead of a piece. It had vocal work. It was only five minutes. It was only five minutes. And for me, I mean, for me, it was just so out of place. Like, I just, I know there's jazz with vocalization, and I mean, the vocalist in this track that was featured, her name is Gail Morin Korea. So I imagine the wife of Chick Korea. Yeah, there you are. If I had to guess. Um, so, yeah, let's just put it out there. It does seem almost like a bit of a courtesy. Of course, 
it their just husband feels like and wife. Such, it's just well, I mean, I don't even want to go to that level. I just want I just feel like this track is a cop out for the album just because it doesn't match up with anything else on the record. It doesn't fit right, the I'm themes of the rest of the record. Posing a possible explanation. Right. Now, and the singing wasn't bad. It just it felt so out of place. It, well, here's it, my thing. A over general overarching statement. <laughs> yeah. Uh jazz vocalists can really Let's put it this way. I love scat. I'm a very big fan of scat. I think that's a, that's actually a, a, a... It's amazing to hear a jazz vocalist, you know, do what other instruments do. Yeah. And doing their own solos, essentially, just off the cuff. You know, don't worry about lyrics, don't worry about anything else. Just go with the music and do what you feel is right. It's but kind of like an early form not, of beatboxing, right. scatting. <laughs> so that, yeah, in many ways. So that's, like, one side. The other side is to go the same way that all singers have gone... For ages past, and that is to sing a song, a melody. It's a set melody. There's really no improvisation there, and you're trying to reach certain climaxes, make certain claims, perhaps in your lyrics, and that's what this song does. I can't say it does much more, though. In many, like, not that I'm disparaging other tracks that we talk about, because most of the stuff we talk about has lyrics, you know, when we're not talking about jazz. When we're talking about all the other albums that we've reviewed, we're looking at that. But it doesn't seem to be... It seems like the instruments that are used in those cases are built so closely around lyrics, and it feels like here, it could have exi- you could have taken her out, and the music would still be there, and you'd still be able to focus on it. And that's actually what they do. After the initial vocal expose, they replace her with the clarinet, and then they replace her with other instruments and it's really just restating the way her vocals were interacting with the with the uh, original music and I'm I'm not a big fan of her original vocals I mean I I, I think just it's, part, un- it's, it's unimpressive it's um it's it's part of the art that's again it's very common for there jazz was no melody to support her and she wasn't supporting the way the instruments were playing it's like that's revisiting it the, the the culture of standards that we had back in the 50s you had all these jazz standards around that people have been following for years and years and years and it seems like this is an attempt to you know reintroduce new ones i just in my heart i don't feel like this is going to stick and no. it ju- and it just didn't have it just didn't have the same heart and soul that the rest of the record had it just it was missing something there's there's definitely there's a soul that it's trying to re- like every single time you know she tries to reach a high note there's this uh, John doesn't like this I kind of like or at least I understand it you know when she reaches something that is just short of of the high, high note it's a like, high octave it's it ends up dissonant yeah. you know even though she's playing very highly it's 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 a curious thing but it's done a lot as far as I've it, as far as I've experienced and in jazz solos, concerts the solos were in solos that's my big thing they were not unique in their aspects i mean yes they are differences between the various solo work on the the various instruments but you know let's stick they're, with, they're let's, really they're very samey let's stick with which unique. is weird let's stick with the the not unique term because i think that's yeah. really going to sum up my my uh my feelings on this track i it's a shame to do that so early in all of this because we've this is our first jazz album but i already have to say that me being the most experienced with jazz here i've heard a lot of this i've heard a lot of this not so much with the rest of the stuff in this album but i've heard a lot of this track outside of space it's just yeah. it's a lot it's out there you said it, it's on every cruise ship <laughs> yeah it's on every it's in it's every just, uh, i don't i don't 
I don't want to hear Every this large on this jazz album. Ball, you know? After getting one through four, even though I had issues with certain tracks on one through four, I still overall liked all of it. Whereas this, I really it just took me out of it. I was immediately knocked out of the immersion that the rest of the album had set up. Right. And and so I think we I think more or less we've talked circles around this song. But the the reality of it, it's not a great track. It's not awful by any means of any imagination. But it's, it's on just, the same principle that we tend to judge a lot of pop tracks. You know. Yeah. They introduce something, they introduce it solidly. There's no problems with it inherently. It just, it just doesn't fit it's, for it's, the record. It doesn't fit for the record, not original, not introducing new material, that vein. Yes. Now, Moving on to track six, Pledge for Peace. This is Royalty's concept of, of, of the Scotch highball concept done to the next level it just it takes it takes this album to another place that you know it's another moment to moment thing but there are moments in this song that hit such high notes this is where the saw blade definitely flies off the track i'll be the first to say i think this should have been the final track in the album i agree now it begins with a this a should have great, been a six track album it begins with a, a great fian- uh, frantic piano work that leads into a a fluid Yet chaotic composition. Uh, it it, it we get transitions. A lot of, we get a lot of tension at the beginning. Yes. It's very texture heavy. You're exploring a lot of... It's, first of all, this is where the drum gets to almost reduce the tightness that it's had so far. It yeah. gets to play very loosely. And I love the style of drum work. I'm not ashamed to say that. When you're not sticking within a, a particular rhythm, per se, the drum is used purely as, as accent and texture. Mm-hmm. You... Roll on the on on the uh, on the tom toms for a while. You you roll on the snare. You use a a brush on the crash cymbal. Yeah. Really, it provides these accents that are they're only done in I guess what we now think of as jazz noir. Or, uh, there, I mean, there are other bands that utilize stuff like that, even if it's not jazz. I mean, one of my favorite things, but not to this extent, in my opinion. No, no, of course. Like, let me finish my sentence. Nope. <laughs> so I was just trying to say something okay, that we need a minute to laugh. It, it's kind of unrelated to jazz specifically, but I like bands that have multiple percussions. Like Guster is a band that has both drums and bongos, and stand-up bongos and other percussions like that are they accent what the percussion is keeping beat with. The percussion is the standard beat that you expect from a drum drum line in a song, and then the bongos get to accent the song, and you get a sense of that kind of accent. Just from the drums themselves in this track. Well, and, I guess the, the thing drums... that I'm talking about is more the search of setting. It's like when these drums are being used in such a way, and you consider the rolling piano, the fact that there's really no theme being stated at all here, it's all these sounds. You just get this soundscape. It's a setting. It's a scene. It's, it's, it's like a dark alley. It's... Like, that's what I get from this intro, and I love tracks that are that evocative. It's the drums are water being poured on sidewalk. Yeah, they're just they pull where they may. There is something there, but after just a few minutes, a there's, few moments, it gets discorded, distorted, there's, discolored. There's fear there also. There's a unity about it. Yet in certain areas it's drier, in certain areas it's wetter. It pools here, drips off there. It's got the true fluid nature of water that's just. Just great. Yeah, there's a quiver. Yet, there is the, the piano. The piano creates. The piano is a, a quiver, and yet also the uh, soprano sax. It, it, it there's chaos. 
there's something just poking through that's breaking that 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 smooth tension that really is just creating a a, a, a well, discord and a startling feeling that's just awesome just to walk through one of those instances i think is the soprano sax it comes in literally for like two seconds just to go yeah crescendo do crescendo builds up builds down and it just comes it's 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 this is something that you could build a horror movie around this you know probably a good one too not no there's so many genres that would kill to use this type of song yeah to to base something on And it does, it does ebb theme. and flow. I do like your comparison to water. There's, it does feel like a wave nature to the whole opening of this track. And it finally does settle after four-ish it it becomes... four five-ish minutes. Yeah, a little It while. finally settles down on a true jazz club salon style of, of uh, uh, flow. Yeah, we go and, back to that PBS jazz, which I'm not... I, I, I like kinda, I like PBS jazz. I, I kind of really needed do. it. There was just so much back and forth and transitioning, right. and 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 the flow, the startle back and forth, the settling, calmed everything down, which allowed me to co to transition to one of the most beautiful things I've heard in my life. So this is my favorite moment on the album, hands down. I'm still in the wings of whether this is my favorite track. It's definitely up there. But this stand-up bass solo is one of the... First of all, so how it starts is when the stand-up bass solo begins, all of the instruments cut out. All that you hear is the stand-up bass, and it builds, and, and yes, it plays. This is, this is a legitimate, true, just one instrument solo. And before it even gets into it, there's clapping. That's the other aspect of this song. It has a very personal feel to it because there is you get the people. impression of it there's being live. Whether there were people in the studio, whether right. it was actually live, whether or if it's the just musicians applauding each other. I mean, this is a huge band anyway. I mean, there's yeah. a bunch of people playing. But yeah, it does add a personal element here because, again, I have no issue with them breaking the fourth wall in that regard because otherwise, if you weren't, then you'd have things that are probably written a lot more tightly than this was. By tightly, I, of course, mean, you know, themes that run together, fluid composition and everything. We're talking about solos here. Everything about jazz is very personalized. Every and single time you hit, you give your head nod to the other instrumental and say, all right, take it. That's personal. But also this is personal because you feel like you're a member of the band in the studio with them. You get that vibe where you're pulled in so immersed. There's a lot and of And I think that's why we, we went from that anxious introduction into this sort of fun, refined section that's not as gritty as what we were introduced for. That's what we built. That's what brings it back to that personal element. And that's what and allowed you to release yourself and hand it to the bass. And, and this... It's, it's like the whole audience is handing it to them. This bass solo is, first of all, one of the best solos I've ever heard. It's, one of the bass, best bass solos I've ever heard. And then, foremost, definitely one of the best stand-up bass solos I've well, ever heard. Let's just look at some... Cold hard facts about the upright bass. It's a big instrument. It's a big clunky instrument. You need to just to go one half step. You need to have your fingers pretty far apart from each other. Having played the violin when I was younger, the transition from a violin to an upright bass is just insane. It's a difficult instrument to play. It, to wrap your fingers around that entire fretboard, and to do it in a way that the volume is actually pleasurable to the audience it's a difficult thing to do live which also makes me give a head nod to the engineer here because it was there was a lot of dynamics in this bass solo that's the most impressive thing he yeah. gets soft 
the engineer whose name is Bernie Kirsch, who did all the engineering on this record. Oh, good job, Bernie. Yeah. Um, he did... And and I mean, it's so apparent on maybe this they, moment. Maybe they spent a weekend at Bernie's. <laughs> <laughs> My favorite thing about this solo, though... Is that is that the instruments dropped out? It's one of those things where the spotlight's on this performer, right. and he does not disappoint, yeah. and he builds to this release that was incredible. It's dynamics that that I think yeah, is, is it, my favorite part about it. The solo starts with the the classic trio of this album working in tandem, and it's almost like, it, to put it very much, and uh, uh, white collar, uh, blue collared, it's like the 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 bassist went all right guys all right right, right. You, you're done i got something to say so just hold on a minute and he goes into something that is just it's it's simple it really is simple i disagree in what it sounds like but it creates such a buildup of emotional pressure that after a while i'm actually hoping it ends because I need to release what he's building. He needs he needs to end. I see it's what you're so getting at. Hard. I see what you're getting at. I just don't want you to see where you get the, the, the word simple here. I think it, even apart from this just being a difficult instrument to solo on, I think it was a magnificent solo in, in terms of the way it was phrased with the rest of the piece. Complicated in its phrasing. Also, it, also just another simple. Okay, simple is wrong. Pure is probably a more appropriate. I don't it's just. It's so much one thing that it's got a purity to it that it's so hard to well, rival. Well, just on a technical note, I've also never heard an upright bass solo, and maybe this is just to to my fault, having never gone and sought out a lot of upright bass solos, but I've never heard one that actually made use of so many double stops in a row. That's when you play uh, two uh, strings at once, right? And he plucks it both at once because usually you can't. Like, it's hard to find your way around that fretboard and end up on a place where you can firmly say, "All right, my fingers are within, are just far apart from each other to get those two notes at once." Because obviously, if they were any further, you wouldn't be able to do it and phrase it within context of the entire line of melody. That's it's just too impressive to me. I hands down to the muscular strength of all these guys. Well, also John made it said something that makes a lot of sense. Upright bass is one of the only instruments where it doesn't matter if you want to play it, if you're short, skinny, and weak, it's not the instrument for you. It's if you just, got if you got small hands, you're never gonna play it. It's just it you have to have the power to play that instrument. Yeah. Whereas a guitar, just about anyone who can hold a guitar can learn to play a guitar if they have the coordination. This requires so much strength as well. You you yeah. have to be physically able. They to might play they this might instrument. actually sell like you know a little smaller sized ones that. Uh, you know, a it's possible, smaller-handed yeah. person might be able to wrap it. But then again, you probably are sacrificing other things, such as the depth of sound that the full-sized upright bass can offer you. And right. that's that's what brings me back to dynamics here. There's so much... Dy- it starts out so strong, yeah. and then he purposefully has a decrescendo where he just dies down and gets so soft. Again, engineer really gets has the mic right up against the fretboard here in order to to just, pick up those tones and everything is just crisp crisp so crisp hell. and it was so perfect that they dropped out on the instruments it just made it that much crisper and brought this attention to this instrument that doesn't always get that it kind of an attention chills down our spine I felt like I was in a tundra oh it was incredible <laughs> I had I had my whole 
my back was tensing. I was anticipating the release of this yeah. this this solo so much that it was a it physical was, feeling. It was almost masturbatory. And it really was. It was, it was close. almost masturbatory. It was very close because it was just this kind of build up and this this welling. It it just really was. And then it stopped. And not even in like a gross grody way. Like it really just. Well, you know, it also said it, it's way. also because of the nature of the bassist. And this is any bassist, bassist, electric or upright. They tend to be such you know. They're in the background. This is a stereotype that goes to the bassists, yeah. but yet they're always so cool. They play it so cool, and this is as if to say, "Wait, wait, the album isn't over yet. The bassist hasn't spoken yet." <laughs> yeah, exactly. and everyone shuts up for that. And 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 the my the, the crowning part of this whole whole thing is he stops. Everybody cheers. I cheered. First time I heard it, I was driving. I started clapping. I immediately grabbed the wheel again. It was just one of those moments where I was just so happy to have experienced this. Yeah, you got it. It was so, amazing. So it was just pure amazement. Can't say it better. But that said, I think everyone agrees and everyone would agree on this album that this is the climactic point of the entire album. Yes, this yes, is where it hits it its might, highest point. It might depart from certain things like the spacey theme, but at the same point, it's just it. everything's phrased in such a way that this bass really, really takes the cake. Oh, yeah. That said... This is not the end of this track. No. No. And that hurts that it. That was like the halfway mark. That hurts it. If yeah. Even if they had had like a minute or two minute outro, I would have been fine with it. I would have been like, all right, yeah, everybody, band, get back together, you know, uh, have your drinks afterwards. It's uh, That's the way I interpret, you know, the outros after a solo like that. But it wasn't. It was almost half the track. Half the track was spent on an outro. And that's a big critique of mine. To be honest, I felt like it was... We... we termed it as overwhelming but it's not just a matter of overwhelming it's it's literally dragging at that point yeah. it's dragging out the inevitable because you you really you know that there's not going to be a climax and they don't they really don't hit well, a climax also, that is anywhere near uh that bassists well it's also along the lines of that idea of it being masturbatory once you have that release it's just uncomfortable after that <laughs> i'm serious it's like once you I have that kind of a release it's like you're done. Like, the rest of this track is you just sitting in the chair going, uh. <laughs> yeah, like Yeah, no, it took me a solid minute, minute and a half of listening to the outro to really start listening to yeah. the outro. I was coming down from the high. Yeah. And who, who, would, it really... who would make half a porn video the aftermath? <laughs> right, exactly. Now, it's not all bad. Okay. It isn't all bad. It's, it's very not bad at all. It's like at this point, I kind of Separate. have to gloss over. It's like, yes, these are great musicians. These are probably the best musicians we've ever reviewed. Blah 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 blah. We get it. <laughs> yeah. But I can't. There's still no theme presented later on here. We Until don't return. the actual outro, which was the, which, they got which rid of the is legitimately the yeah. last minute. Yeah. And yeah. it is once again the trio, and I don't know what's going on, but it is it, that itself finished the song for me and and brought me back to earth. This is what I call. A Beethovenian ending. Now, yeah, you had mentioned that when we were listening. I, I think that's an easier term to understand than Gershwinian. <laughs> Probably. I think well, a lot more people say esoteric. say Beethoven first of all. Because I saw the movie. When you compare things to uh, to Beethoven, you know, <laughs> people should know it. We got it. Thanks, John. Yes, you that, can actually sing that on the podcast. That's that's uh, actually wasn't game? that Mozart? That, it's not. But it's no. the movie it's called not Mozart. Called Mozart. The big movie that really does explore who Beethoven is. It's called Amadeus. Thank you. That doesn't explore Beethoven. But at all. The, that uh, I thought that was the one that did Beethoven. No, it's Amadeus Mozart. 
No, but from Beethoven's point of view? No, no it's oh. from uh, Scarlatti's. Uh, Thank you. I think Scarlatti. Or Thank you. Anyway, the point... I might have that name wrong. Scar- I saw it when I was Back 13. on track. Okay. This song, in a nutshell, is good, but there's a great moment that makes the rest of the song, except for the actual outro itself, a little disappointing. Well, as I was starting to say, by comparing it to what I call a Beethoven outro... The re- there's this little thing, if, if you listen to some of Beethoven's symphonies, they have very, very long outros because it feels like the composer himself does not want it to end. He's too, he's too wrapped up in the theme. He's like, oh, this is awesome, this is awesome, this is awesome. Not that I'm, not that I'm dissing Beethoven. Who would diss Beethoven? But seriously, there, is, there are moments where you're sitting through and you're like, wow, where is this ending? Where it's is impressive. it going? If it's impressive, but at the same time, where is it going? Beethoven was still able to... St- dated, of course, in ways that were, you know, related to the theme. But when people say Beethoven outros, they're typically referring to ways in, in which they don't, they've forgotten what the theme. They're just going on and on and on and on and on and yeah. on and on because they're too wrapped up in it. It's, I personally think that we were a little bit too harsh, and this is what I was trying to defend, Portals of Forever, because Portals of Forever, to be honest, spent a good, a good course of the last half going through different themes to the point where I didn't feel like it was rambly necessarily. Yes, there were certain moments here and there, but I can't I can't call it as bad as this. And it's like maybe we're being defensive of Pledge for Peace just because we love the bass solo so much. But I can't defend the track in a whole. I still think that um I still think that Portals to Forever was uh I think a more solid track. But I never said that Personally, for me, anyway, that Pearl's Forever, because it got meandering, that it made it a poor track. Yeah, but we spent a lot of time, you know... <laughs> to be fair, you guys spent a lot of time. Yeah, I mean, he was you know, quiet during that That track, one. I All didn't right. have a lot more to say, I'll because... Stop breaking the fourth wall, I'll stop looking at you, I'll look at John. <laughs> well, no, it's just, also, for me, for With that track... finger. That track, I acknowledged that it was a little meandering, but that said, it was still a solid track that I enjoyed. It was just the fact that we all agreed it did get a little meandering. This Pledge, track, Pledge and also, also, the other thing about Pledge for Peace, it's not just rambly. There's a word to describe it, which was ill-chosen when I previously mentioned it in royalty, and that is the word avant-garde. It's more apt here. Yeah. This is rambly to the kid. When most people think of rambly, they think of avant. When most people think of avant-garde, they think rambly. Yes. You know, they're... not even. It's long-winded. Long-winded. It just doesn't know when to stop. Well, it's along the lines of what Steve's saying. It's Beethoven in its sense that it doesn't know where it's going or how it's going to end. That's the whole thing. Rambly kind of gives an idea that it's jumping from place to place. This was a lot more repetitive than that. Uh, The more and more, I mean, I know this is really like beating a dead horse here, but I, I do feel like it's important to put this in perspective. And now I'm almost taking it back. Beethoven, a Beethoven ending is really more of a positive statement, and I think I'm going to attribute that uh, to uh, Portals, Portals of Forever, Forever, rather. I think that was a Beethoven ending, whereas it reaches climax and climax and all these other different statements of the theme. It's wrapping up. You were aware that it's wrapping up, but it's wrapping up for so long. Still, it's it's epic in its conclusion. The final note is in this, repeated In this case, times. there's just there's no word to describe it, and I shouldn't be describing it in Pledge for Peace. It's just... There is no further point after the bass solo. There's just, there's nothing. The song that, could have it, it's the time though. for the musicians to just show off. And I think I want to leave it at that. Because there are definitely people out there who would be absorbed in this. I don't want to exclude them. 
that's just the nature of jazz in many cases. Yes. And on to the final track, Legacy. This is there's a reason why we wanted the album to end on the bass, and it's not just, just because of the second half of Pledge. It was Legacy was a summation of the whole album without any expansion. But the problem is with Legacy from the get-go is that it brings back themes that were stated earlier in the album in a bit of a different way, but not different enough to be engaging. We all agreed that at this point in the record, especially halfway through this song, we were bored. We were, we were getting, or we were getting bored at least, because it was nothing It may also be the tone different. that we le- that we're left on because of the end of Pledge for Peace. Yeah, where where it was one of those in things many that ways it, it felt like a, a continuation ground. of the rambling. But no, I don't want to go that far. There was the song oh, wasn't rambling per se. It's just it's, 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 it's it is a summation. It echoes. It actually echoes the beginning of Pledge for Peace in terms of that texture heavy. Uh, uh, what it, you call it? Points, it feels spacey points, again. At points, it echoes every song. It, it echoes that stuttering piano that, yeah. that which I loved in in the first track. And but it, it just it, here it feels like it's. It, you know, I loved it in the first track because it was because of the way it was stated and everything else. You know, here it just it's thrown in. This track was as I I had said when we were listening. It's kind of almost devoid of heart and soul. It just doesn't have the same kind of heart and soul and feeling the other tracks that it's restating right. had. We're, we're nearing our wrap up here, so I'm just trying to be fair about about everything. Yeah, and we ran. Had, and there's a lot of we're splitting hairs in many places, but we're splitting them for good reasons, but also sometimes shallow reasons. It it goes like this. I spent a huge amount of time just you know criticizing the the end of Pledge for Peace. Yet at the same time, I almost feel like that would have been alleviated had Legacy been completely absent. Yeah. Then I almost would have expected that that jazz jam avant-garde ramble because let's put it this way even though that was like eight minutes in of itself the very last minute of pledge for peace was a very cool outro it was very satisfying yeah but legacy doesn't do that legacy is much more stagnant in the way that it revisits every single theme and it ends on a on a on a dime yeah really quickly abrupt it it just too abrupt for 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 some of the uh it's the softer tones that were stated throughout the album. I feel like they didn't deserve that abruptness. It's, it's a summation, but it's it's an almost tangential summation. It jumps around and goes, hey, you remember this? Hey, you remember that? Hey, you, know, you remember this? And it's just... You know what the problem is? Here's my card. Here's my card. <laughs> no, you know what the problem is? Legacy is a very rock and roll structured track. It's a wrap-up for a rock and roll record where it brings back themes of the album in a very structured sense, even though it's a longer track. But you don't want that on a jazz record. You want some kind of ridiculously epic creativity to take you off into the sunset. Or a kind of cool, chill, well, yeah, man, let's just relax and cool off. And, yeah, you don't... And slow burn, you know? You, you don't overture. want... You don't want to be revisited by everything you already heard. Because that's very standard and cliche. And the last thing you want it's an, it's on It's an jazz. interesting way to put it. I I, think I'm, I'm following you. At the same time, I, I, don't, I don't personally feel that rock and roll records... Uh, do that um, wrap up and revisit. Okay, then, may, then let's, let's rock operas. Do let's that. let's oh put, rock let, operas. Okay, yeah. so let's oh, put it towards the, let's put it towards more the musical aspect. That's and most animal. musicals have a reprise and the ending where they kind of wrap everything up and bring back all the themes. Yeah, you I, don't need that in a jazz record. This, I want I want something that blows my socks off because I got them blown off a couple times already on this album. I just, wanted that. That's, that's said, how you. I want I want to be. 
in anticipation of the next creation of this band. That's what I would want. That's what jazz feeds you. Anticipation. Yeah. And instead, I got an overture. I got, I, an overture I got a summation. That's why I said that we were almost doing this for shallow reasons. And I it's not it's not going to hurt my rating that much. Just a little bit. But it won't hurt it that much. Because, let's put it this way. The simple fixes... I don't even think we'd be talking about this uh, ad nauseum if it weren't for two simple things. Either get rid of Le- Legacy completely, right? Wow, that would have been such an easy fix. Or have Legacy be track one. Then it's actually an overture. Then it's an overture. Then yeah. you haven't heard this stuff yet, right? It's all new. It's all it would fresh. would have made more sense. And then all, whenever it came later on and when it was stated you know, a little bit more firmly, a little bit more uh, uh, concisely... You would have been like, ooh, that's right. That's that thing we were told about in the introduction. But wow, it hit such a climax there, such as the stuttered piano, you know, yeah. in Galaxy 2. The hunting, Just imagine. The hunting nature. Yeah. The, 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 the trio. Yeah. You would, have been, you would have been deprived of a smidgen of freshness, but you would have been uh, released of, you know, the... Uh, it would have been the appetizer for this meal. Yeah. It would have, yeah. You would have known exactly what to expect, yet be completely surprised. Now, that this we, 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 we talked in very black and white terms. I want to say something. The worst parts of this album are have complexity that I'm doing a wrap up. Matt's miming. I'm, I'm gesturing. Why did you have to bring up the gesturing? We were doing so well. That's true. That was your now, fault. <laughs> no, because now I'm starting to come down and I'm really starting to get a little bit laid back because you don't have the high emotion of actually dissecting. The worst parts of this album are more complicated than things I've heard in years. <laughs> yeah. They are more astute than things I've heard in years. True. The, the sim- <laughs> True, they the, are worse than he's heard in years. The I'm simplest of, of instruments are better than our, our, our three and a half, four star rating type of things in rock and roll, in pop, in hip hop. I mean, they're mad geniuses throughout this album. You have a series of, of, of people who are off their meds creating the most artistic things I've heard in I don't know how long. They're very experienced. We no. haven't said that yet. Yeah, <laughs> yeah we he, did. He himself we mentioned is very that. experienced. We mentioned that at yeah, the beginning. Everybody. We said he has over 50 albums. That's there's, experience. There's an infusion of ideas but I wanted, from so much I wanted area. to drop implications. I just wanted to say it. Okay, <laughs> okay. fine. Anyway, back to my wrap-up. Oh. Yeah. Here we go. Um, there are issues, but the issues are, it's, it's like saying, well, Galileo, not Galileo, what am I thinking? Galileo? Don't, don't ask. Da Vinci did something wrong. That's like, what, that's what it's saying. Like, yeah, that's trying not, to say that this is bad is like saying Da Vinci was an idiot. He, or that's not as good as his other work. I have a brief anecdote, which will take no, uh, more than 30 seconds. There's a modern, uh, well, he, he died in the 80s, but he's a, he used to play a lot of Baroque piano music. He, he was a performer by the name of Glenn Gould, who I think a lot of critics tend to really, really hate because of the fact that he used to make these grandiose claims about, you know, art throughout the ages. At the same point, he was a very, very brilliant man. He may have even had a little touch in the head he was so brilliant like a savant in certain areas but he would occasionally make these claims like he'd be talking about Beethoven's later sonatas and 
he would say, oh, well, yeah, that's when he could get away with anything he wanted. You know, back when Beethoven wrote that junk. He was quoted as saying this. And it was like, wow. I mean, okay, yes, everyone is titled to their opinion, but at the same time, you should never, uh, don't trample on the greats necessarily, because without Beethoven, where would we be? So. Right. Yeah. It's, 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 it, that's, well, that's, but that's like. It's an anecdote to go with what John's saying. Yeah, I would never saying the bad all, stuff all of here? the critiques that we're saying here are merely opinion. And and I have a minor anecdote. Like it was always my big thing with the, my opinion on music that you can't only in very specific cases can you say something sucks. Otherwise, it's just your opinion. If you right, don't, I hate that term. Yeah, just because you don't like it doesn't mean it sucks. That's why I also hate the word junk. It's yeah. based on that interview. I would never say that about something unless I absolutely detested it. Right. Critiques, you know. As harsh as they may sound sometimes, these are really minor points. These, these are the ultimate musicophiles nitpicking. That's what it really comes yeah. down to. Yeah. On the whole, what would you give it, John? Um, parts of it are intimidating, mm. which does detract a little that. from it. I can see uh, that. And parts of it, I scratch my head and go, yeah, that's beautiful, but I don't see how it fits. On the whole, it's just so well composed, so well designed. It's a four or five. It really just it, and it has a six star song on it and a six star solo that's just magic. <laughs> I haven't heard that before. No, no, the, interesting. It's got it, it. It breaks the mold at parts that are just so beautiful that words will never be able to describe. All right. Well. Having brought this album to the table and wanting to introduce us to jazz, period, I think I had a pretty good start. You didn't introduce us to jazz. You yeah. beat us in Andrew, the face you, with us. You know what you I mean. You wrote us, jazz? Us no, no. as crash no, but, but, chords, having never done What I'm trying to say is, please, I was trying to make a joke and you freaking ruined it and it drives me bonkers. <laughs> Can I, I make was, a joke? I was just going to say that you, instead of introducing us to jazz, you beat us to death in the face with it. Like, wrote, this is the best ja- probably the best jazz you could have possibly brought us. And you did. Oh, that's what you were doing. Yes. <laughs> it was funny. Everybody left. Yeah, yeah. You wrote jazz on a baseball bat and hit me upside the head. Pretty much. Okay. Well, I'm proud of that much at least. You're welcome. <sighs> I'm proud of you too. Here's the thing. <laughs> Here we go. Everybody strap in. I mean, apart from the Crash Chords purposes, I haven't really thought about rating much jazz on a personal standard in any case either. Not that, you know, not that every single time I'm listening to music I'm always thinking about, what would I give it? You know, right. that's really only for this this two-hour period. But I'm pretty... I haven't heard a wealth of Chicory's previous work. And I'm pretty impressed by this. I really am. Like, I didn't know what I was going to get, necessarily. There's always the assumption that sometimes when you get the work from a man who was, you know, upwards of 65 and in the upper... <laughs> that you're going to get ideas that are rehashed or comfortable. Really, stuff that's, you know, all of the last uh, 30, 40 years. Things that aren't necessarily fresher groundbreaking but always deliver and that's what i was expecting here of course because he hasn't released uh an album of original work in 10 years but there's a good portion of work on this album that i do think is groundbreaking it aids throw it out the window i think that the first track itself is that that brand of space jazz 
is unlike I'd ever, anything I've ever heard. Yes, it has elements of it, but that's that's the skillful master at play. He goes back and he borrows from little snippets here and there, such as later on in the album, he goes back to that uh, John Coltrane song. He borrows from elements of, uh, what do you call it? lounge music, of course. That's predominant in, in any jazz club you might go into. He sometimes settles into that for a while, but he always brings you back to a new, groundbreaking idea. For this reason, I mean, I knew this track was going to be above four, but the groundbreaking qualities, which is what I'm always looking for it, pushes it to the upper fours for me. It's... I probably would go as far as to say that this is a 4.6. The only reason it's not, you know, really, really close to 5 is because of the moments in which he does settle. They do tend to run long at times because of the way the jazz is constructed. It's a general critique of of jazz, or personal critique here, I should say, that they do sometimes lose sight of the theme despite the groundbreaking moments. I, despite those groundbreaking moments, they come back, they're here, they're there, they're all over the place, but the cohesion sometimes gets lost. It's the art of jazz to explore, and this is a full exploration. But I'm a composition guy, so I almost wish that there was a like a sideline tangential album that took those moments and explored them to full fruition, then I would be in the five territory. But 4.6 is pretty damn good. So, uh, go Chikoria. Keep working. You always have to pick those numbers that aren't quite in the middle points. Oh, I always have my new reasons, because every album is You like to different. be different. He does. I use quarters now, and honestly, over 4.5, you gotta use... Tenths. No, I, I agree. Anything yeah. over a three, five, or four, you going into quarters makes sense, especially. And we make up the rules as we go along because it's our podcast. Anyway. Yeah, everything's made up. Um, points Wait. don't matter. It's like it's like a, we've been honest about this. You know, five is very personal, and you have yeah. your very personal reasons, reasons to explain it. And it's just you know, there's a couple elements here that are a little bit lacking here and there. But four point six is for all the general reasons in the pantheon of music so high. So for me. I mean, this was a very unique experience for me. I mean, especially considering we had done, we had done, you know, a couple of instrumental records. You know, we did uh, Pacific Rim, which had its moments, but more or less was fairly mediocre. We, we had, did. We had Godsticks, which was just a, 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 a an assault of instruments. And we had points. Tomorrow's Harvest, which was so technical, it was almost brain aching, you know, at points. Whereas this. I mean, as much as there was a lot of great things going on and a lot of layers, it never felt like work. I enjoyed mm. almost all of it. It had a, a wholesome, exciting nature to it. You know, the only track that I can actually say I didn't like, and it's not because it was a bad track, but just because it ruined the immersion for me, was Five. You know, Outside of Space, which, you know, for me, someone who's functioning on an emotional level... Immersion is very important to me. If you can draw me in where I'm not thinking, I'm just feeling, that's a big deal. And besides the end of, you know, up until track four, the immersion really hadn't been broken. And then track five, I was just like, oh, this is really different for this record. I don't really like it. Granted, the immersion was almost an hour at that point anyway. Right. I'm so proud of you guys. <laughs> the one song on the record is the one that you're dissing. <laughs> that makes me proud. But... I feel like I've achieved something. <laughs> 
But but for as a whole, I mean, I really love, I really do like this record. I don't know that I'd go out of my way to listen to it all the time, but that doesn't mean it's a bad record. It just means I feel like this record would fit specific moments for me. But all in all, I really enjoyed it. I mean, I, and, and that bait. I mean, I agree with John. That bass solo is a six star bass solo. It breaks the fucking record. Uh, whoops, Steve's gonna have to bleep that. But like for me, it's just one of those things. Is <laughs> is that. I just I love that bass solo. It was so good. Well, be careful. You can't rate based on a bass solo. Based on a bass. Based on a bass. Based the bass. 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 I'm sorry. I'm I was skipping, but you know I really liked the record, and you know I was surprised that I liked it as much as I did because I'm not. I don't listen to a lot of jazz. Like I said, my experience with jazz was more environmental than than personal. But there were a lot of personal moments on this record. Again, especially like Pledge for Peace. Environmentally opposed to jazz. <laughs> Interesting. Well, not opposed to it. Just my experience with it was in, in an environment where jazz was being played. I never sought it out. But when I heard it at a in a ballroom scene or on a, on a cruise ship or in a, at a nightclub, I still really enjoyed it. Just I didn't focus on it as much as I had here. You had a different framework to work upon. Yes. So... For me, it's it's so tough. Like, I don't know. I, I guess I would say that it's definitely for me. It's I, I would definitely say it's it's in it's it's beyond four. It's definitely beyond four. It's definitely beyond four. Is it beyond four? It's definitely beyond four. I think I'm stuck in a loop. I'm but, not editing this. Just so you know. <laughs> good. Um, definitely, definitely, def- four. Def- definitely. About four, definitely. Um, no, but it's not a five. Steve's right. There's there's enough problems that aren't glaring issues that it wouldn't be a five. But I think I don't want to give it a four four point five either. I just it's it's just almost. It's a four point four for me. It, it's 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 almost a four point five, but to me, when I take a band that was a four point five or a five. I didn't have I love I loved every track but not, maybe not every moment but with this you know there were moments that really took me out of the album so it's a 4.4 for me and for my overall wrap up which I forgot to do last week by the way Jimmy Eat World skip it it's not worth listening to buying just skip it forget it this one buy but this one yes <laughs> this is on the range of skip it listen to it buy it go out and get it Go get this record because it's it's. I feel it's really got something for everyone. What was your number again? Four point four. four. Point four. Okay. Four 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 five four six. Interesting. I just don't think it's four five because bands that I've rated that are four five like um, Steam Power Giraffe, like there was just that other something, and I pretty much liked every track. I got the other something. It's you know it. Complicated, but, complicated ratings are hard, right? And but for this, it was just one of those things. I didn't get that something that I need to put it to that next level. But it by no means is bad. It all depends on what we value, of course. But again, um, in closing, for the overall wrap up, buy this record. Please go buy it. It's 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 a great record, you, and you'll enjoy it. If you have any any interest in jazz, you dude, come on, oh, yeah. people, please. I highly encourage it, even for. Those and, <laughs> and because we went at such length, I'm gonna I'm gonna give a brief outline of a topic we're gonna be getting into. And I'm kind of curious. I want people to actually 
send us some questions if they feel the need to because this is one I really want some feedback on. The idea is that instruments have a have have the ability to go into all sorts of different genres. You know where drums are going to be when they're rock. You know where drums are going to be when they're folk. Certain instruments cannot be used the same way in certain genres, while some instruments can span genres and be used in all sorts of different ways. Highly flexible. And a good example is the piano. Piano can be in any type of music. It has been in every type of music. And it can be used in any type of way, every type of way in those genres. Just another reference to Beethoven. He once referred to the piano as the god of all instruments. And of course, you're not talking. He was in a, from a time where we didn't have electric instruments, but we still had almost the same orchestral instruments as we do today, or highly similar. And it's accurate for the sake. Would you think you have 88 notes? Like that's all you're gonna need. You're not gonna need anything below A zero or above C seven. It's it, you're just not gonna need them. You have everything at your disposal, and you have ten fingers. It's you have access to it all. Every other instrument is constricted. So it's it's. Well, it's yeah. a very reasonable question that John poses that um, that instruments should find themselves in one particular a brand good, of music or another. An example of this is the violin. A violin in a more classical setting is used to state any sort of emotion, any sort of theme you can really think of because of it, the way it's being treated. Yet when you see it in a more modern day rock and roll setting, it's hard to make it deviate from being a love sound, or being a sad sound. It's hard to it's, state it as the instrument of youth, necessarily. Yeah, it's... it's or, just, or of the youthful sound. Yeah, and it's and it's a, both a shame, and it's interesting to explore how instruments are treated. Yeah. But there's, a, there's going to be some... Uh, there's going to be some debate here, because there certainly are exceptions to the rule, and I think we're all going to uh, come back with these exceptions when we look further into the topic. And I really want to culminate this topic with your favorite specific instrument. Indeed. Ooh, that's tough. Yeah, I don't need time to think about uh, that's, that. That's, that's what I, I wanted to go yeah. to. Because we're going to discuss all these instruments, and I want us to, I want us to really... Because I think once we really outline how we feel certain instruments are, it says a lot about what your favorite instrument is. Yeah, that definitely would be for sure. Indeed. Um, that would definitely be for sure. Never mind. Let's yeah, just move on. It's Steve, late. <laughs> let's, 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 let's get into our spam mail before I announce my pick for next for next week. So for some brevity, here we go. Brevity. Negegerman zekalitag shigashisumons http colon slash usillumeror.com is ye not tortironry http colon slash slash gusangor.com Eminkakur by Vinivievitsrik. That was a heady keyboard moment. By heady, you mean he sl- the person who wrote that slammed their head into the keyboard? I said heady, that heady kind of keyboard. heady. Yeah, that was that was not my wine is sweet and heady. That's someone who has to stare at the keyboard my while they type, but someone messed up all the letters. I've wanted to do that in my office, take someone's keyboard and swap the letters around. No, no, it's switching it off a of QWERTY to that other system that nobody uses. Right. Yeah. The first one that existed. Yeah, the one nobody uses. <laughs> the pre-QWERTY. Um, so, f- originally for next week, I had had I had chosen something until I remembered halfway through this podcast, there was an album I talked about. I had mentioned when we first selected him that we were doing a metal record. I was wrong. I forgot. Him isn't really metal just because they call themselves love metal. 
However, I think it's time we do an actual metal band. And so I found out recently that in June, Black Sabbath, Ozzy included, put out a new record called 13. And so that's what we're going to do next week. <laughs> you sneaky little bastard. Yeah, I, just... I decided to bash you over the head with jazz, with a virtuoso, and now you're giving us the kings of metal. I see what you did there. I see. So now we're all just going to... Ozzy did it? Yeah, I believe Ozzy's in this record. Yeah. You know, that, oh, means, that awesome. means that means you have to do the same exact thing, John, in your following week. You need to come up with a band who are at the forefront of their genre. <laughs> Considering what he told me he wanted to do, actually, that's still that album still kind of works. Yeah. That's a secret, though. But anyway, that, but yes. That, that time I, got I, a couple. I started a cycle of her trend. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, I want to do Black Sabbath's new record, 13, because A, I love Black Sabbath. I mean, classics like War Pigs. I mean, come on. B, he loves metal. Yeah, and B, I love metal. And I haven't and, really... There hasn't really been great metal records to come out lately that within the mainstream big-name bands, anyway. And C, we're getting... Actually, fun fact about Ozzy, when he, he was on the Osbournes and he acted like that, it was because he was on drugs and antidepressants. He's a lot more sharper than that. It's just... A the lot thing sharper, was, not well, more sharper. The th- he was sharper than that, but on that show, he was taking things that made him that kind of warbly... Yeah. That and, he, and he's actually cleaner than he was on the show. Yes. Um, in fact, the best thing for that family because I got wanted off to do show. metal and I was gonna first pick Megadeth and then it got like a thirty something on Metacritic and I was like, yeah, I wouldn't do that to my friends. I care it, about them too much. It's Megadeth. I would. I would. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you very much. <laughs> I, I, I would so. challenge that there haven't. Um, when you say there hasn't been great metal records released, it's just it's another one. Of those I things. amended it when I okay. said it. I right. said there haven't been great great metal records by the big kings in a while. Right, and even I guess you could say metal in their in its purity. Yes, because metal is another one of those genres which seems to have uh, fractured and split. Exactly. But no, I meant I meant and quickly amended by the big giants: Metallica, Megadeth, Iron Maiden. I think Iron Maiden put out a record maybe three or four years ago, but. But Black Sabbath is like one of the bands. So how old is Ozzy? One hundred and fifty-two thousand years old, if he's a day, or something like that. Give or take a thousand years. We're gonna say Aerosmith. Give or take a day. <laughs> We're gonna say Aerosmith ages. <laughs> oh, he's okay. been around. Anyway, on that note, and as always, music, music is, is life, life, and life is good. good.